0: Sorry, I don't have any wee tricks. <laughs> it will be amazing if I can use my new glasses to read. <laughs> okay, it's from Luke chapter five, and it's on page 1032 in the pure Bibles. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genes- Genesaret, with the people crowding round him and listening to the word of God, he saw as the waters, at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets he got into one of the boats the one belonging to Simon and asked him to put out a little from shore then he sat down and taught the people from the boat when he had finished speaking he said to Simon put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch Simon answered A man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, Don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. One day as he was teaching Pharisees and teachers of the law, he had come from every every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there and the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came in carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this, Because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? forgive sins but God alone. Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, what are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home, praising God. Thank you very much, Muriel, for for reading that passage to us this morning. Well, before we hand over to our brother Andy, it's really good to have you with us today. And we're looking forward to what you've got to say to us in song and through the Lord's word. So, hand over to you. I'd
1: like to goodness me, that's loud. I'd like to teach you a song this morning. You'll know the tune to it uh, if you know Leonard Cohen's uh, "Hallelujah," and it anticipates communion as we come to communion later on in the service. So if I could perhaps just remind you of how this goes to start off with and then you can join in. Just remain seated as we sing it. Um.
2: We come to you, our risen Lord, our hearts are softened by
1: your word. In emptiness, we humbly reach out to you. You remember how it goes? Shall we sing it together? Okay, from the beginning. We come to you, our risen Lord. Our hearts are softened by your words. In emptiness, we humbly reach out to you. We come to eat the living bread From Jesus, risen from the dead And we shall
2: all proclaim the hallelujah Hallelujah, hallelujah Hallelujah, hallelujah Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
1: Your spirit drew us to this place, we look above and see your face, your mercy called us long before we knew you. Your blood was shed to set us free, our eyes were opened, now we
2: see, and from our lips you draw the We know that there's a God above Our wounds have been
1: healed by His love But words are not enough to bring praise to you Our lives must speak of pierced hand As wounded
2: healers take our stand The world will sing it's broken
1: Call us, Lord, to follow you To show the world your love is true Your power and compassion Flowing through you We long to see your church arise Justice falling from the skies
2: And from our lips you'll draw the Hallelujah Amen.
1: If you'd like to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter one, I think I must have said, I uh, sent the wrong reading, so my apologies. Um, But that reading that we had actually relates to some uh, of what I'm going to say this morning as well. But you may or may not know that this is Advent Sunday. So this is the beginning of us anticipating the coming of Jesus at Christmas. And so for the next three, uh, or today and the next two weeks, uh, we're going to be thinking about Advent themes. And this morning, it's going to be hope. So perhaps we could read... The passage, uh, Luke chapter 1 verses 5 to 25, which is the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and the promise of the coming of their own son, John the Baptist, who was to be a forerunner of Jesus. He was to be the prophet that prepared the way for the coming of Jesus. So, Luke chapter 1 verse 5, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. I think the commentaries say that they were lightly roundabout in their 60s. So, my goodness me, very old. I'm at 68, and I still feel as if I'm 40 inside. Anyone agree with that? Um, You know, uh, so anyway, they were very old. That's how the Bible describes them. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense, When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. And when his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and for five months remained in seclusion, the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Amen, this is the word of the Lord. Back in the early to mid-70s, I'm not sure whether it was the early 70s or the mid-70s, two spacecraft were sent out into, basically right out into space, no particular destination, but sent to travel throughout the universe. Voyager 1 and Voyager 2, I think they're due to come back in 2025, and they've been traveling, sending data back to the Earth. Actually, the the computing power that powered those two spacecrafts, the amount of computing power was a fraction of what you would get on a normal mobile phone today. It's it's just incredible. But they were sent off, and they've been sending data back. They're still sending it back after all these years. And they have traveled, and I have to check this on Wiki, because if it's on Wikipedia, it must be true. Are that right, yeah. Um, Ten billion miles they have traveled. I mean, it's incredible. But on these two in Voyager 1 and Voyager 2, they put two records with golden records with the sounds of the earth, sounds of human life. There were sound, sounds of a baby um, uh, crying, sounds of, of music, sounds of speech. And I inevitably think to myself, I wonder how they anticipated someone on another planet would actually play. Uh, these records. But I presume they must have thought there must be some way in which they hopefully can, uh, can hear what we're sending to them. And there were various pieces of music put on these records. And the, one of the scientists who was given the task of deciding what kind of music and what piece of music should be put on it, uh, she was thinking about it one day and she heard this piece of music by Beethoven, Cavatina. And she said, that has got to go on those records. And she discovered that Cavatina meant longing, or at least the piece of music expressed the longing of the human heart. Beethoven, when he wrote the music in the margin of his, of his, of his music, wrote longing, or the German word for longing. And as if she was saying, look, that cap- encapsulates, that captures the human heart, our longing for something more, our longing to to find something more, she said. I don't know whether she was a Christian or not. So she put that piece of music as a way of saying, this is the human condition. This is the human heart. We all long for something more. And of course, for the Jewish people, for 400 years, they were longing for the coming of the Messiah, and there was silence from heaven. And yet this Start of of, a, of a, a train of events with the coming of of John the Baptist and the angels visiting Mary and Elizabeth and and the shepherds and, and and Bethlehem. All of this is this the beginning of the answer to the human longing as Jesus comes and brings eternity into time. And that's what she said. We want to put that piece of music on those those records so that they can see what the human... They also actually, incidentally, put Johnny B. Good by Chuck Berry on the records as well. So I don't know what that says about the human condition. But anyway, there's this longing. And as we look at the story of uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, we see a number of things. First of all, we see that hope comes to the faithful. If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 1, verse 8 it says, Once when Zechariah's division was on duty... And he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to... The, it just, he was on the rota for that, that day. It was his task. It was his duty. And so God meets us in our faithfulness when we're going about the normal tasks of serving him. Um, and as I've been pastor of about four churches, I would like to say that the, the people that I, I most thank God for Are the people that just do the stuff, whether they're excited about it, that's their responsibility. They're always there. As someone has said, if you want something done, ask a busy person. And quite often our churches are run by people who just do the stuff. They know that if they didn't do it, no one else would. And so there's that sense of faithfulness, whether there's blessing or whether there's not blessing, whether people are excited about where the church is going or whether people are, are struggling and asking. They're always there. They're always opening the door. There's always, they're always putting the heating on. They're always ready to lead a service or whatever. And so if we want God's blessing and we want to have hope for the future, it comes to those who are already faithful. And uh, Zechariah was of the division of Abijah, or Abiah, and uh, back in David's time, when the number of priests, I think was something like uh, 20,000 or 24,000, he divided them into 24 groups of priests. So there would be a thousand in each division, and seemingly possibly once in a priest's lifetime would he have the privilege of doing his duty in the temple. And so it wouldn't be taken lightly, but he simply that's what his responsibility for that day was. And every morning and evening they would, um, they would offer sacrifices to, for the people of, of Israel. You see, God guides moving objects. We stand waiting for God to show up and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? But the ones who are faithful in the small things are just doing the stuff anyway, whether God shows up or not, whether God speaks to them or not. And God blesses them as they do so. I remember in one of the churches I was in, there was a young man who felt that God was calling him to be an evangelist, and he was a very gifted youth worker. He was involved in the youth work. And he said to me one day, Andy, he said, I really feel God's got something special for me to do. I had this dream about me preaching in a, a kind of football auditorium, not an auditorium, but a football field to large numbers of people. I feel that God wants to use me as an evangelist. So I'm going to give up my responsibilities in the church. I'll come on a Sunday morning, but I'm going to give up the drama group. I'm going to give up the youth work. I'm going to give up this because I need to be ready for God to use me. And as far as I know, that never happened. The idea that we give stuff up in order for God to use us, it just doesn't work that way. God um, chooses moving objects. He chose David as he was looking after the sheep in the desert because he wanted him to be a shepherd to his people. He chose Moses in the wilderness, um, looking after sheep, because he wanted to call his sheep, his people, out of Egypt. He was already doing what God was calling him to do. The disciples, and we heard about this from the first reading, um, and that was good because it was the disciples who were were. were Casting their nets into the sea, fishing. And then Jesus calls them from where they're doing their duty to actually be fishers of people. He he calls them to do something more. And so if we want God to use us, we've got to be there to be doing the stuff that keeps the church going in order for the blessing to come. Hope comes to those who are, are faithful. And he answers our prayers, and he he responds. And what a wonderful way he responded to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Robert Moffat was a 19th century missionary to Africa. And he was visiting Edinburgh one day. He was on deputation, or he was trying to encourage people to think about giving their lives to mission. And he was preaching at this wee place in Edinburgh. And the night he was speaking at this meeting, um, it was It was pouring down with rain. It was blizzard conditions. He thought to himself, maybe we should cancel tonight. I doubt if anyone will will come out to the meeting tonight. And when he got there, he had this message specially for young men, calling young men to give their lives to serve Christ in Africa. When he got there, there wasn't any young men there. And he thought, what's the point? But he was faithful. He did what God called him to do. So he preached with passion about the need for people to serve Christ and to to live the Jesus life and to tell others about Jesus. And he went away thinking, well, a wasted night. But little did he know that, um, well, in those days, the organs, you didn't plug them in, you actually worked worked a bellow. And there was a young man working the bellow of that organ that night whose name was David Livingstone. And he heard that message. And God touched his life. And God called him. And actually David Livingston became his uh, Robert Moffat's son-in-law. I hadn't realized that, but I found that out. Uh, he, he was willing to do what God called him to do. Even though he didn't see the outworking of it. And so all of us, wherever we're at as individuals or as a church, are we willing to, 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 to trust God for the hope of those who are faithful? Next slide, uh, please. Does this, it's the right-hand one, is it? Ah, there we go. no. That's back to the song. So, that's it. Hope comes to the hopeless. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there's a huge amount weighty uh, stuff in that phrase alone. Herod was a crazy man. He was paranoid. He permitted no one, not even his family, to oppose his rule. His wife and her two brothers were murdered because he suspected them of treason. He had his two sons killed. He was married nine times to strengthen his political ties. God started moving at the time when everything was the darkest it could be. We had hints of that in the prayer. Kind of incidentally, I'll. I hadn't planned to say this, but I won't charge you for it. Uh, as I've gone around different churches preaching since I retired, one of the things that astounds me is the number of churches where you'll, you'll be in a service, and there's no intercession. There can be disasters going on in the world. And our political situation just now, as you prayed, needs our prayers. So it's encouraging and refreshing to hear uh, prayers going on, not just for the the, the Christian community, but for the world outside. And Zechariah and Elizabeth were living at the time of Herod, where everything looked bleak with this crazy man as king. And hope comes when perhaps we're ready to throw in, when we've lost hope, Um, And of course, they were childless and Elizabeth would be rejected in their culture because of her barrenness. In fact, it was grounds for divorce in the Jewish culture of the day if you were not able to have children. And so there is this sense of hope, you know, God shows up when we least expect it, when we're ready to say, oh, what point is there? But we don't need hope if everything's hunky-dory. If everything's going swimmingly, we don't need hope. It's when everything seems dark that then we need to reach out to God and say, Lord, I'm trusting you because you've never let me down thus far, and you will never let me down ever. I wonder if there's something going on in your life just now where you've almost lost hope. Maybe it's someone that you've been praying for, and there's been no answer. Maybe for years. You've been longing for an answer to your prayers, and it just hasn't happened. And on the basis of this, it's often when things seem as if you've lost hope altogether that God says, right, now I'm going to do something. Paul in Romans 8 says, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? Romans 5, we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character, hope. It's as we go through the tough times, it's as we go along that dark part of the journey that God shows up and then, in spite of all the circumstances, gives us hope. And Paul in Romans 15 says, may the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So hope comes to those who have just about given up hope, and they're hopeless. Time of Herod. And we've been praying for a a child for, well, I don't know how many years, And, and now I'm in my 60s, maybe in our 70s. And we still haven't seen the answer to prayer. Is it ever going to happen? You ever got to that point where you think, oh, what's the point, Lord? I've prayed so many times for this. When's it ever going to happen? And they'd got to that point but God hadn't forgotten. He had put his plan in action before the very foundation of the world. Helen Rosevear, uh, a missionary to Africa, um, one day they were, tra- they were delivering a, a baby and the young woman, the young mother, died in childbirth in this, ca- in this mission compound in Africa. And they gathered everyone round and they were distraught. I said, what are we going to do? Because they were anxious that the baby would now die. And they said, well, we need to pray. This sounds strange, but we need to pray for a hot water bottle because there's no incubation facilities here. It was primitive in this tribal setting. And so they gathered everyone around, and there were some kids there, and they prayed that God would provide a hot water bottle. And almost before they finished the prayer, a little voice piped up, one of the African kids, and Lord, we pray For the baby, because she might be lonely without her mother, we pray that you would provide a dolly for her. And they all said, "Ah, that's lovely, isn't it? But then they finished the prayer, and they said, it's got to happen today. This stuff has got to come today, because tomorrow it will be too late. And so then they were amazed to see this package arriving towards the end of the day. And they rummaged through it, and would you believe... There, halfway down, was a hot water bottle. Their prayers had been answered. But there was one me last who wasn't satisfied yet. She went to that box and rummaged to the bottom and pulled out a dolly and said, God's answered our prayers. Now, in order for you to fully understand that, you need to know that a women's guild in Scotland, five months beforehand, had packed that box. God knew what they needed. Five months in advance, he provided for them. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth needed to know that this just wasn't just some circumstance or chance happening. God had been planning for their lives from the beginning of time. Hope comes to the hopeless. Thirdly, hope comes to the doubter. Next slide, please. Hope oh, comes to the doubter. How can I be sure of this? Zechariah says. How can I be sure of this? Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. They were still praying. Do you notice that? They hadn't given up. Your prayer has been heard. But then Zechariah, Zechariah dares to say, I mean, an angel appearing in your front room, what? That's fairly convincing, isn't it? But Zechariah says to him, how how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. In other words, he looks at himself and his circumstances rather than looking to God. And the minute we look at ourselves and what we're able to do, and our circumstances, and how bad they are, we start losing faith. But Gabriel says, I can imagine him standing to his full height. I don't know whether he had the wings or not, but I can imagine him, you know, swelling his chest and saying, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now you will be silent. Listen for the doubters among us god doesn't write us off times we go through doubt times we struggle times we ain't got much faith but god doesn't walk away and say ah, i'm going to go i'm going to look for someone with more faith than you he perseveres he sticks at it and he doesn't write zechariah off he is struck silent struck dumb until the time when he announces the name of John the Baptist, his son. I I love that because I I at times doubt. I go through times, I can think of times that our family has gone through, times of challenge in the ministry, times when I've not been sure what the future held, and I have to confess sometimes. My wife's a better prayer than I am. She'll say, well, let's pray about it, Andy. And I have to confess to you, let's make this our little secret, okay? And everyone that's going to listen to it on, on the internet, well, okay. Our little secret. There are times when I've, I've said, oh, what's the point? And she'll say, oh, but Andy, we've just got to keep praying. We've got to keep trusting. And I, 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 I love the fact that you've got Thomas. I'm not going to believe unless I see the nail prints in his hand and the spear print in his side. I love the fact that Abraham said, well, okay, God's going to give me a blessing through a son, through a child. But it hasn't happened yet. We're waiting for decades. So, how about if I just took Hagar, your, uh, your maid, your, your slave servant, and I slept with her and we had a child for. I mean, maybe that's the way that God, let's just do a bit of work ourselves. And so Ishmael comes along. But of course, God still had plans for Isaac to come. Abraham doubted and did things that were outside God's will, but God God still had a purpose for him, even though he doubted. And what I love is the the story of the Great Commission when they stood in that mountain in Galilee. And remember how when Jesus is about to ascend to the right hand of the Father, we read, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I think that's brilliant. Not that I think it's good to doubt, but you know what I'm saying? There's a reality to this where God doesn't wipe us out. Remember when Lazarus died and, and the whole family were saying, Jesus, why, why couldn't you have been here? And if you look at the timescale, even if he'd gone back to Mary and Martha's when he heard that Lazarus was ill and died, he wouldn't have got there before he died either way. So it wouldn't have worked either way. But when he goes back, Martha goes out to meet him, but Mary stays at home. Why? Well, he's let me down. If he had been here, this this wouldn't have happened. What a disaster, I've lost my brother. But Jesus says, well, there's blessing for both of you, Mary. Martha, guess what I'm going to do? Do you believe I can raise the dead? And Martha says, Well, yes, Lord, I believe in the final day. And Jesus stops and says, No, no, you're not hearing what I'm saying. I am resurrection. I am life. And in your situation, whatever it might be, however challenging to your faith, for you as a church, Jesus says, No, no, don't look for something special or some gimmick or so. I am here, the resurrected Christ, and I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, at the start of the civil rights movement, Martin Luther King used to, um, was speaking at various meetings, but every night there was about 30 or 40 threatening phone calls. Right through the night he'd get these phone calls from people threatening, uh, saying, we're going to get your children, we're going to kill your wife, Uh, we know which way your children come home from school, all of that stuff and one night, he was there in his kitchen having a cup of coffee, and he had this phone call. It had been maybe 30 or 35 phone calls that night. And in it, the guy uh, says to him, he speaks to him on this phone call, and he says, listen, nigger, we've taken all we want from you before next week you'll be sorry you ever came to Montgomery. And for some reason, that particular phone call, he, he, he just felt like giving up. He says, I I can't go on any longer. He was about to throw in the towel and give up on all his plans and all his vision for integration and, and so on. And he said, he just hung his head at the kitchen table in his hands. And he says, it was as if Jesus walked into the kitchen next to me. And he says, trust me, No one can ever take you out of my father's hands. And he reiterated his call to Martin Luther King. And and it's as if the whole situation was transformed. Now in your situation, you may not see Jesus coming into your kitchen, but he's there. Boy, is he there to take you on into the next stage of the journey. And the last thing, and briefly... Uh, The last slide, hope hope has to be shared. That's the whole point of this whole story. Zechariah and Elizabeth, John the Baptist is born. Mary and Joseph, Jesus is born. The word spreads and the shepherds are the first evangelists and they go out and tell people across the, the highways and byways and across the hills telling. Because this whole thing is the most exciting news ever heard. God has come to his people, and if we trust in him, we will live forever. Hope has to be shared. And all of us, as we come to Christmas, let's commit ourselves to to inviting people and telling people that this is wonderful news. Let me finish with one story um, about uh, uh, Tony Campola tells the story of a, 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 a camp, a summer camp he was at as a counselor, a youth camp hundreds of young people, and he said that every night someone was asked to stand up and do the epilogue. And uh, there was a young man there who had a terrible speech impediment. He could hardly speak. And some of the young people, you know what young people are like? They can be merciless at times. And these young people said, let's let's get John to do the epilogue one night because that will give us a good laugh. He won't hardly be able to speak. What a laugh that will be. so John said yes I'll I'll do the epilogue and he stood up and there was this titter this laughter, just subdued laughter went through the the young people because they knew what was coming and he stood up at the microphone and he said Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so And then he said a few sentences about how he loved Jesus and how God had spoken to his life. And far from laughter, silence fell upon these hundreds of young people. And Campolo says, you could see tears streaming down their faces as the Holy Spirit came and fell on those young people. And Campolo says, there's hardly a country he goes to these days where someone will not come up to him and say, Dr. Campolo, do you remember a camp in America in the summer one year where a young man stood up and could hardly speak? Through him, I became a Christian. He says, doctors, missionaries, pastors, politicians, social workers have come up to him and said, that's when my life changed. Why? Because a weak young man dared to stand up and say, I love Jesus. Why? Because he caught the vision of this, that it was to be passed on. And you'll notice he asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free. And he began to speak, praising God. The, The priest would come and the people would be ready to hear what had happened. But when Zechariah came and the, pre- the people all saw him, they saw that he had a vision because he couldn't speak. And then some weeks later he named his son. He will be called John. And his mouth was opened. And it's as we step out in faith and say, I, I can't do this, Lord, but will you please help me? As I speak to my husband, speak to my wife, speak to my children about how I just love Jesus, my colleague at work, whoever it might be. Hope is then shared. And oh, what a challenge. The 17-year-old Andy Scarcliffe, I think, would challenge the 68-year-old Andy Scarcliffe. Because in those days, I was far less worried about what people might think if I told them about Jesus. I was telling everyone. So I need to be challenged, and I'm sure likely you do as well as we go into this Christmas season, because we're called to spread the good news of the coming of the kingdom of God. Let's pray, and then we'll sing together. Father, we thank you for Zechariah and Elizabeth. Thank you that they loved you and served you. Thank you that you called them in the midst of their ordinary lives and gave them a gift that was beyond their wildest dreams. You answered their prayers in such a wonderful way. And we pray together, and I pray for my sisters and brothers here today, that Lord, whatever hopes and dreams there are, whatever hopes and dreams there are for this church, we ask that you would amaze us with what you plan to do on into the future. We trust you, Lord. We're going to obey you and keep serving you in the ordinariness of life. But Lord, we ask that your blessing would come, and we might see lives transformed, people in our families, people at our workplace, people in our community. We ask mighty Jesus that you would empower us to share this good news with others. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be world without end. Amen.